Welcome to episode 10 of Blowin' Wind with the Great Southern Brain Fart. This time around, we're featuring Roger Joseph Manning Jr., former guitarist... (laughs) Take two. Welcome to episode 10 of Blowin' Wind with the Great Southern Brain Fart. This time around, we're featuring Roger Joseph Manning Jr., former guitarist, keyboardist, singer, and songwriter for the legendary power pop rock band Jellyfish. Roger is also known for his longtime role as Beck's sidekick and whiz kid for the past 17 or so years. Over the years, Jellyfish has become a legend of sorts. You know, they're one of those bands that seems to get talked about way more than they were actually heard or even seen when they were still in existence. This mystique is what I believe adds to the magnetic draw to Jellyfish and their short but important two-album legacy. I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to talk with Roger on two different occasions while he was on tour with Beck, so what you're about to hear are two different conversations spliced into one long interview. Of course, that means you're going to get some warts, so you'll just have to get over it. With that being said, it was still a great conversation, and I really had a great time talking to Roger about everything from Jellyfish, of course, his new EP, Glamping. We even talked about him standing next to James Hetfield of Metallica at a Dead Kennedys show once. I hope you'll enjoy this episode of Blowing Wind with the Great Southern Brain Fart featuring Roger Joseph Manning Jr. So kick back and dig it. Thanks for listening. So not uh, running like hell when you saw that you had an interview with a site called The Great Southern Brain Fart. <laughs> I welcome, I welcome uh, anything off the beaten path like that. That's fine. <laughs> well, so I have the honor to welcome you to uh, the Blow and Win podcast. So thank you so much for joining me, Roger. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Well, so before we get started, I have to really say, um, so um, my site is primarily rooted in hard rock and metal music. Um, And I don't know if you're aware of it, but I know that as a hard rock metal fan that I am, um, I've also been a Jellyfish fan, Roger Manning fan for, you know, since, I mean, since Belly Button. Um, so many people that I know of in the hard rock and metal community, the minute they bring up Jellyfish, they all go, oh, yeah, man, like that band. You're like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, like, was it ever or is it a surprise to you that people in that community or that listen to that genre of music latched on to Jellyfish in a way that they, they didn't latch on to other bands that were so, like, non-hard rock and metal? Um, it, it is, but not not to a great degree. In other words, I, I'm actually surprised how much of the hard rock metal community uh, are fans. Not that they, not that that community uh, took a liking to us. Um, um, so, yes and no. Uh, I think that there are sensibilities in our music that simply appeal to that audience uh, for the same reasons they're you know fans of whatever uh, different types of hard rock and metal that they, they are fans. I mean, I think there's similarities. And I, I'm very flattered, frankly, because, as you know, aside from maybe one slow ballad or hard rock song um, on a metal record, uh, rarely does that community do anything but show its uh, bravado and testosterone and machismo. I mean, that's part of the whole vibe of that genre right and jelly jellyfish from the get-go i mean our very first song on belly button is you know is slow introspective feeling uh it's emotional it's it's has a sentimentality to it oh yeah um but i think it's all presented in such a way that uh we seem to penetrate some wall that maybe some uh rough and tumble 
uh, metal fan wouldn't normally be willing to go. I mean, I, that's why I think it's such such a flattering compliment to have so much of that community uh, enjoy what we offered on our, our two records. Because it's really funny, because like I said, speaking from someone, you know, on the inside who, you know, like I said, like I grew up a metal fan. I actually, now in my 40s, I play... Um, I play uh, folk rock music, you know, so things uh -huh. change. But I still am very rooted in the metal world. I listen to a lot of heavy metal. I love heavy metal. But like, you know, like when when Belly Button came out, I was a junior in high school. And so, you know, all of a sudden it's like, you know, you're listening to, you know, you know, you know, Slayer and Anthrax and Megadeth, and then all of a sudden this kid comes up and goes, have you heard this Jellyfish band? They sound kind of like Queen and the Beatles. And I'm like... I can get behind that. And like all of a sudden it, beca it became like the escape from all of it. Do you know what I mean? And so like for so many people that I know of that were metal fans, but yet they were jellyfish fans, they all kind of seemed to say the same thing. And that was that jellyfish was kind of like our back porch when we just needed to get away from all the volume and like, as I got older, the music, the lyrics, everything seemed to penetrate me on a deeper level, you know, and kind of mean a lot to me. And, you know, three jellyfish shows later, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, I've never stopped being a fan, you know? And, um, you know, so I just wanted to let you know that because I wasn't sure how aware of it you were, but um, that you definitely had that effect on people in that kind of world, you know? I, I was aware of it to a degree, and it's uh, again, it's such an incredible uh, compliment. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, growing in the growing up in the San Francisco suburb that we did, Andy and I certainly uh, there was there was a lot of metal and hard rock, um, you know, and um, uh, certainly it was backdrop to our suburban upbringing, but. Uh, when I really enjoyed a lot of punk and skating pools and ramps with my brothers, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, as soon as I'll, I'll never forget when Show No Mercy came out. Uh, I mean, Suicidal was a gateway crossover band, right? Right. Um, and uh, that that proceeded. To, um, and I had some friends who couldn't go there because no, it's, it's too do that. But I like the hybrid. Day. Then the Bay Area kind of exploded with that. Uh, you know, DRI went from fresh to more metal and uh, Death Angel, Exodus. Uh, there, there were so many um, bands. I mean, I remember one of my very first Dead Kennedy shows. Uh, um, I'm drawing a blank. Hatfield. Uh, um, you know, he was standing behind me. Metallica had even broken. They were a very, very small local band. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and, you know, and I can remember. No, check this out. I can remember. Uh, I'm standing next to this dude, and he's super much taller than me. So all I can see is his jean jacket that he's wearing. And I'm looking at him like, this guy's got fucking Def Leppard patches and ACDC patches all over. You know, Dio all over what the hell is he doing here? He's going to get his ass kicked, you know? <laughs> um, and I, I, I look up and he's got blonde, long hair. Well, 90% of the people in that club in San Francisco were, you know, shaved head or skinhead. Right. And I'm like, okay, he's really asking for it. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> and I, I was like, Oh my God, a fight's going to break out any moment. Well, a few minutes later, I saw that nobody was touching him. Everyone was just like, uh, you know, let him be or whatever. And a buddy of mine told me, dude, do you know who that is? You know, sleep to him. I was like, oh, it all makes sense because they already had so much respect uh, in the hard rock and, and local uh, thrash punk scene and stuff. And, but my whole point is that, um, you know, Jellyfish, we, we chose to kind of write in the style that we did but we were heavily influenced by all kinds of genres of music. I mean, for crying out loud, our producer, you know, for Belly Button, he produced uh, Saturday Night Fever, you know, the biggest disco soundtrack of all time. And, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I brought a lot of 
well, me and Jason Faulkner, I'll say, uh, had a, brought a lot of punk attitude and energy to what we were doing. Uh, Andy uh, brought a lot more hard, the classic hard rock. Um, and my my brother Chris, you know, I mean, he liked he liked reggae, so it was like it, it was all over the place. And then, of course, y'all bunk and Queen and uh, all that great uh, 60s psych pop that uh, uh, we, we shared in common. But, um, yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't have the, the energy and the kind of just uh, heavy attitude. You know, there is, there is a take-no-prisoners approach on those records just in the way any Def Leppard album would have. Um, and, you know, I know, I know there's a, even a part of the metal community that doesn't even consider Def Leppard uh, heavy metal or hard rock unless you're looking at the, you know, first couple albums or something. But, right. um, it, you know, anyway, it's, it's all, it's all, you take, I always have this phrase, it's like, I don't care what genre you're talking about. I kind of like it all, but really I only like that kind of cream of the crop 5%. The rest was just people trying to copy everybody else and songwriting is not as good but those you know four or five artists at the peak of all the pioneered all those genres and kind of uh became lasting icons in those genres all that shit influences i, I watched uh, i stumbled onto an acdc documentary i didn't know about the other day um and it was all about the making of back in black and the everything that was going on behind the scenes and in the studio so for example i had no idea that that they had already started recording back in black and had all the songs laid out when bond died right i thought he had died i thought he had died way before they even started that record right and i was i was trying to imagine that that totally just sideswiped i was trying to imagine being in their position and finding the courage to carry on and then like being even inspired to write and arrange you know what i i feel is probably their best record and i like a lot of their albums but to me, that's still the best classic ACDC album. Um, in spite of all that stuff going on, it's just like so blown away. Anyway, I, I, I was just reminded too uh, what an incredible uh, group of songwriters and performers they were, and how that's just like where, where are those caliber of, of people and musicians and craftsmen? I don't care what genre you're talking about; they happen to be in the hard rock genre, but they they just fucking killed it, and they absolutely proved that uh, when that album came out because uh, was it Highway to Hell that's right before that album? I yeah. don't remember the Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, they'd obviously made a bunch of noise on that record and were starting to get more attention but they weren't the international you know global dominant hard rock band that they became after Back in Black. Right, exactly. And, uh, they were poised for that but it was like still hadn't quite gotten there. Mm -hmm. And um, they, you know, uh, it's all—it's all about the cream of the crop. Those 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 bands and songwriters that go that extra distance, that that uh, leave everybody else in the dust, and that's that's what we were trying to do on those Jellyfish records. Certainly, it's just uh, really, really leave no stone unturned and kick it as far as we could, and uh, you know, operating within those kinds of '60s, '70s sounds and genres that we enjoyed writing in. And you totally did because, like, it's so funny. It's like I had a conversation with a good friend of mine who's um, a big Jellyfish fan, and and I'm one of those guys that, like, when I fall in love with a band, it's like I want, you know, like I want, and this is even from my early age. Like, I want everything, dude. I want the bootlegs. I want the I want the shitty recorded VHS back of the room <laughs> concert. You know what I mean? So like my jellyfish collection is like disgusting, you know, like I've got like bootleg <laughs> DVDs, uh, you know, just, you know, so forgive me for having the bootlegs, but just, uh, but just to show you that oh, good. the power of that band to me was something that like, you know, I just could not get enough of. And then, you know, you guys came in two records, you're, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful I got to see you guys the times that I did at the uh, at the Cotton Club in Atlanta and at the um, uh, Masquerade Music Park in Atlanta. Those were the three times I saw you guys. And, um, you know, like seeing you guys live and it, it always struck me, though, that like what made what what was it that took you in that direction is like, 
I mean, because age-wise, you guys were all the same age as your peers who were heading into like the thrash skate punk direction. You know, what was it that took you into that total other fork in the road to do where you were? Because you guys could have easily, because of your music, music, like musicianship and your skill, probably could have been a great metal band, you know what I mean? But like, well, but, but like, you know what I mean? But like, what was it that took you into that direction? Well, I mean, you're kind of right. We were surrounded by, you know, we actually, me and all my colleagues should have been some version of a grunge band or something. Right, right. Um, I mean, you know, I certainly loved uh, Soundgarden and Nirvana and uh, so many of those bands even before there was a name for that scene uh, because it was, you know, bubbling up there in Seattle as early as 86, 87. Right. Um, but, uh, no, I think the thing that all four Jellyfish band members and then certainly the two other gentlemen that uh, joined us on Spilt Milk, um, again, we, you know, we grew up with, with hard rock is a big part of our suburban upbringing. But... Uh, at some point, we came to terms with the fact that we were very much, or equally, if not, and maybe even more so, in touch with that kind of uh, sensitive, softer, emotional uh, side that led us into uh, things like listening to lots and lots of um, Beach Boys and, um, uh, you know, the, the more McCartney than... Lennon side of the Beatles. Exactly, which <laughs> uh, I always have know. to say, I, I'm a McCartney dude, so I always appreciated that, you know? <laughs> well, I like, yeah, I mean, I like everything that every guy in the band ever contributed, but it's kind of right. like, it's some, at some point, when you sit down to write your own stuff, you're like sitting there going, wow, these aren't really Lennon-y tunes. These are more like McCartney ballads or whatever, you know? Right. And um, as you're learning to discover your, yourself as a songwriter, uh, bands like XTC, uh, certainly Todd Rundgren. You know, Todd Rundgren's a perfect example because by the time I discovered him in the early 80s, he'd already been around for 15 years. Right. And he he had done everything from have bands to have solo records. And if you listen to his albums, they're all across the board. He's got slamming, aggressive, hard rock songs right back to back with like almost like a Motown psychedelic soul ballad. Right. Back to back. Yeah. And, and then he'd that, go into like some uh, sort of like computer noise, you know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that really, that really, really inspired me uh, personally. Um, and so uh, the other thing that happened for me uh, and Andy, not so much Jason and the other guys, but Andy and I certainly uh, got into jazz for a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still am into jazz, but I chose not to pursue a career in it. Right. Um, but certainly in high school, um, lots of study. Lots of, I mean, the, you know, my my junior and senior year were almost entirely absorbed in jazz with the occasional punk rock record or Talking Heads and Peter Gabriel record that were in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, sometime in college, it just became clear to me that, you know, uh, as much as I loved Herbie Hancock, I loved the Monkees. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm a huge yeah. Monkees fan, by the way, too. <laughs> just... Well... Yeah, so I don't need to, you know, I don't need to explain that. Um, and as much as I like um, Steely Dan, I like The Damned. Right, right. So it's just, it's just, and then trying your best when you sit down to write songs and present them to your your bandmates um, and collaborators. That those, you know, what I liked about those groups in particular and those songwriting is that coming out in my in my songs. Right. Uh, to the same degree where you, where you have a confidence and you're going, you know, I, I remember being in college and I could play quite well and I could transcribe solos of my heroes and see, I could figure out any song I wanted very fast. <clears throat> Jazz allows you to do that. Right. And I really enjoyed improvising and jamming, soloing over uh, jazz music and stuff. And mm-hmm. I realized that, well, the funnest songs for me to jam over were the, were the ones where I actually liked the song the most because they had the coolest chord changes. Um, and I said, you know, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to write an original piece of music. And I felt, suddenly I felt like a complete imbecile, like I couldn't do anything. And I tried to sit down and write simple songs, just like I was trying to write songs like The Birds, you know, I really liked them. Right. Um, and I was like, 
my God, I can't even do this. I can play anybody else's songs, but I can't come up with a completely original melody and, and groove and, and that, that I thought was that I thought was any good. Right. And so I almost immediately stopped practicing jazz and went, you know, a thousand miles an hour into I've got to learn how to write cool songs like my heroes. Right. Uh, and that is still an obsession. And, write a better song than I did before. Right. Um, but somewhere after doing that for about three years straight, just trying and trying and trying and showing ideas to Andy and just keeping up ideas to myself. I finally wrote a tune one day, a chorus song, you know, like verse chorus. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that holds up. That I think it's very solid. And I think it's as good as anything I could. Plus, it's a very, very bizarre feeling. Right. For, you know, for, for two seconds to go, yep, I just wrote something as good as Paul McCartney. Right. That's, that's yeah. weird. It's super weird because you put these people on a pedestal for so long. And then you have to remember, well, but they're just craftsmen doing their best every day when they get up and try to write the song idea. And I knew after about six months of still and being those are the worst tricks in the world. You play a song for a stranger, but you play a song for your best friend, you know, you hope to God he likes it. And uh, uh, the kernel of that song became the song Bye Bye Bye, actually. Right, because that um, was a very early on song that actually didn't even, it didn't surface until Spilt Milk, but that was a a pretty early song for you guys. You're correct. And, uh, yeah, um, Again, again, I heard, I heard those in the bootlegs. That's how I knew. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what. I was yeah, and so Andy enjoyed it enough that he he wrote the complete lyric to it, and then we flushed out the arrangement together. Um, but uh, you know, it's really, really learning this whole journey, as you know. Probably dabbling in your own projects and stuff. It's a whole journey of self-discovery and and being patient with yourself and having compassion with yourself when, cause you're, you know, you're sucking a lot. <laughs> oh yeah. And, yeah. Absolutely. And you know, you have to go, I mean, just, just again, let's watching ACDC dude, like any of those songs off those records, they're, they're timeless pop classics. And I guarantee you that shit doesn't happen. Just falling out of bed. You gotta, you gotta craft it and hone it. And you gotta have a producer like Mutt Lang sitting there and going, not good enough yet guys it's not good enough we gotta let's keep massaging it let's keep trying new ideas um you know i'm not i'm not saying there haven't been great rolling stones songs like or something that keith richards didn't didn't write in two minutes but i mean it's it's really continuing to standard and a lot of people had a difficult time working with andy and i because we kept raising the bar so goddamn high as far as they were concerned Andy and I felt we don't want to share anything with the world unless it's this good, unless it passes our test. You know, why bother? Um, and it's going to be hard for us to go out there and go, hey, man, we're going to fucking enjoy dressing up and have these crazy videos and have all this theatrical sensationality. And that's all fine and good because it's an extension of who we are, but we better have the content to back it up. These songs better just be you know, what's the phrase, all killer and no filler, because you don't have, why bother? That, that wasn't for everybody, you know. Um, you know, and unfortunately, a lot of bands don't adhere to that, you know, and that was one of the things that I always loved about Jellyfish, especially because, you know, like when I talk about, and, and by the way, just so you know, I'm not going to just dwell on Jellyfish. I'm, 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 I've got an order of operations here. I'm segueing. So I don't want you to feel like I'm ignoring you, but, uh, no, that's all, that's all good. But, it, it, one of the things I always rem- like to tell people is like with, when I look back on the Jellyfish catalog, I think to myself, like those guys left behind two albums that are better than most bands who have made like 10, 12, 15 records. Because like that was that whole, like you said, that no killer, no fillers. That when I listen to, when I listen to Belly Button and I listen to Spilt Milk, I just think to myself like, you know, like I get where you're coming from, but also as a songwriter, I also understand that like my band plays 20 songs 
You know, like we have 20 songs in our yeah. repertoire. I've written probably 75 to 100 and something songs. Do you know what I right. mean? So, like the ones well, that I think are just like, okay, I'm not going to present to people if I don't think they adhere to the quality of the other songs that we're playing. You know what I mean? And so... Oh, I hear you 100%. I, um, you may or may not be a fan, but there's certainly a big inspiration on, on, on all of us. And I, some, I just found out about some interview literally like a year ago. Um, somebody, it, it was from, it was from the seventies or eighties and somebody was interviewing, uh, Ray Davies, the Kinks, uh-huh. their main songwriter, of course. And he, <laughs> I was saying, so man, you lived in the sixties. What was it like? You know, all the free love and drugs and partying and just like different times. Right. And he goes, I couldn't tell you. He goes, Luther, he goes, Yes, I was alive and I was a young man in those days, but I was locked in a room trying to figure out how to write songs. Uh-huh. He goes, all my friends were parties and they were, he goes, of course I enjoyed myself, but you know, if there were two parties that week, I didn't even go one of them. The rest of the time, I was locked in a room going, how are we going to kick everybody's butt and write great tunes and beat the you know? Right. <laughs> Beat who? How how are we going to make names for ourselves? And he goes, and he goes. I would just sit there and try and try and try. It took me forever to get ideas that I thought were good enough to bring the band. And I would just sit there. I was when the teacher. Oops! I think I lost you. Hey, Roger. History, you know? Oh, yeah. I, 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 was, I lost your connection there for a little bit. You were going in and out. Oh, crap. <laughs> How about now? That sounds perfect now. That sounds perfect now. now. Well, no. I don't know where you lost me in my babbling, but uh, no, I think no. my point was made. No, but I know I, but I totally, I totally get that because that's the whole thing about like you know, like you said, you 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 work so hard on the craft of songwriting that you know, and and I, I and, and you know, I've always wanted to ask you this, especially when when it came to the the first two, you know the the Jellyfish albums, was that. When you guys went in, because obviously you know there was Beatnik Beach before Jellyfish, and which kind of kind of led into Jellyfish. But when you guys went in to make those records, did you guys just go in and say like we're just cutting the good shit, or is there like a plethora of like like in other words, is there like a stockpile of goodies that you guys are sitting on that one day we're gonna get to hear, or did you guys just go in and because you know like. I've heard of bands like the Black Crows where they went in and they were like, you know, you know, you know, we, we cut the 12 songs that were on the album. You know what I mean? Like, or whatever. Right. You know? No, no, no. Well, well uh, yes and no. I mean, basically, uh, unless Andy and I felt good about an idea, we didn't develop it into a demo. And almost everything, I think 90% of the two records that you hear were demoed up first by us and our bandmates. Mm-hmm. So everything else, uh, we either felt just didn't have the the strength uh, or the or the time. It wasn't good enough to to spend the time demoing it. So a lot of those unfinished ideas, um, for what it's worth, I took my good chunk of them uh, and developed them into the solo stuff. Um, you know, wish it was rain, wish it would rain. For example, was an unfinished idea that I believed in for a very long time. Uh, the land of pure imagination. Uh, both songs off my first solo record. That was an unjelly, uh, unfinished jellyfish idea, but they were they were my portion of the offering. They were it was either something I presented to Andy, and he may or may not have been inspired by it, but for whatever reason we didn't pursue it. Right. So it's literally been sh- you know sitting on a shelf forever, um, and I they wouldn't leave me alone. I was like, gotta finish them, gotta finish them, I gotta figure this out. Um, so a lot of those became solo record ideas, including stuff on glamping, which we now have five minutes to talk about <laughs> i know i know actually that's what i was gonna i was that's actually my fault. i was gonna no no this was great i was actually gonna segue into the solo material because obviously you know solid state warrior was a huge album for me because when i heard that to me like right away i was like for some reason i was like wow this 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 is like the jellyfish album that never got made but then catnip dynamite kind of came out and sounded a little less like jellyfish and more like 
you developing your own sound. So going into glamping, though, um, are, are, are you finding that you've developed a little more from it? I mean, but there's always going to be a piece of jellyfish there because you were such an integral part of the creative process in jellyfish. So obviously, there's always going to be some carryover in what you do, but... How do you feel about glamping as far as like the creative process compared to like say Solid State Warrior? Um, well, it, it's just it's just been very similar. Again, these were ideas that uh, had been. None of this material is um, necessarily new, like written in the last couple years. It's all it's all from the last twenty years. Um, but very often it'll be like, okay, I, you know, I really think this is a strong chorus. Uh, I better figure out to, how to write a verse and a bridge and a lyric around it. Uh -huh. um, and that, that's what leads the way. Uh, the only thing that's really different on, on this set of four songs that I used and invited more of my music friends uh, here in Los Angeles to contribute to the record uh, in an attempt to speed up the process. <laughs> right. As it turned out. As it turned out, uh, my freelance life, thankfully, has been so colorful and busy. Um, that's the only. I started this record in 2012, 13, something like that. Oh wow! Um, and yeah. Here, yeah, and it's only four songs. I mean, I've got another eight songs that are half finished, uh, and they will continue to be released as EPs um, and what have you over the uh, in the months ahead. Because I'd like to continue giving the Pledge family. Uh, and all these incredible fans that have come to this particular party for glamping, uh, I want to feed them music sooner than later. So I'm, I'm really hoping that every uh, nine months or less, I'm getting a new batch of songs out to them instead of like, you know, waiting another four years for uh, a 10 song album. Which I think is such a great way to release music. And especially over the years that I've been, I've been uh, doing, you know, music journalism and stuff. I've noticed that that tends to be a trend with some bands is to release fewer songs, but over a shorter period of time, as opposed to putting out like, here's a 10 song album. We'll see you in four years. You know what I mean? Like, and, right. and I kind of like that because it kind of gives you something. It's kind of like getting a new magazine in the mail you know it's like you always look forward to the next issue coming in a short yeah, period yeah. of time so yeah, absolutely so but one of the things i did want to ask you and this is obviously something that i'm sure you get asked a lot but like my my readers and listeners love to hear this was it in 2008 you reunited with uh jason faulkner at the fuji rock fest which was fucking fantastic you guys did um oh my god what was it that is why which i thought was amazing has how hard has it been to fend off the idea of doing a jellyfish reunion or even doing what I call, I call fake reunions is when like, you know, like when like three, or, <laughs> when like three original members get together with one guy, which again, no offense, sometimes it can be great and sometimes it works out great. But like, has that ever been a thought to you or is it kind of like an all or nothing for you as far as like a jellyfish resurgence? Well, anytime anybody asks me about that, it's uh, nothing but a compliment to me. If mm -hmm. anybody cares enough at all that they want us to reform and make some more music, um, there's none of the there's not enough band members who are united to want to do that. It has to be everybody. Right. Uh, we would never. You can't. You can't replace anybody or bring the, you know the fake Filipino singer in like they do for Journey or right. whatever. Um, as talented as that guy is, and as credible a voice as he is, that's not that will never be journey to me, for example. Right. But um, uh, so we would never do something like that. Glamping is absolutely amazing. Like I oh, have, thank you so much. I, 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 I'm, I'm sure you've heard this from people that have heard it already, but it doesn't seem like you've you missed a step at all like between especially from like catnip dynamite to like like, like there seems to be like no kind of break in time but at the same time it still sounds fresh it still sounds new but one of the things i was really aware of was that you know too many times and i'm sure you've noticed this as a fan of music is that certain artists especially when they've been doing it for a long time they try to do things like reinvent themselves and they try to you know change the way they do things or something but it almost seems like that with you like you 
it's almost like I, I know what to expect, but I it's still exciting. Is that kind of like how you approach this? Is it like, it's kind of like an, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of formula? Well, I mean, um, ideally, uh, I get to do what comes naturally. And uh, that songwriting style is pretty... Um, it's what it's what naturally works. Like I don't put a lot of thought into it. I'm just screwing around, and coming up with ideas. Um, now, I mean, I can put my mind to whatever, and I can, you know, use my musical training to mess with any style I want. And I certainly have for other jobs and stuff. But um, you know, I mean, uh, when I sit down to write pop that I like to sing, it's uh, kind of in that '60s, '70s vein and then uh i just go to town arranging it which is a lot of fun for me i mean being that you are like you know one of the creative you know basically i always I always like to refer to you as the whiz kid of jellyfish for some reason because i always thought you you always reminded me of a wizard back there behind the keys with the guitar and all the toys and stuff you know <laughs> and like you know but like you know so it shouldn't be a surprise then i guess right that like a lot that Especially of the four songs, it was the the uh, the last tune. Oh God, the the, the 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 one about the cowboy. What is it called? I'm so sorry, I can't remember. I'm not your cowboy. I'm not your cowboy. Like, yeah, I heard that and I was just like, that could have been like a lost jellyfish tune to me, you know. So it's always a treat for me to like listen to your material and just say. Ah, there's still there's still some there's still that magic there, you know. But at the same time, it's you, you know. It's not you trying to be jellyfish. It was, it's. I mean, you were part of jellyfish. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Well, yeah. I mean, you heard my personality come out as much as anybody's in the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy and I wrote a lot of the songs together, mm-hmm. uh, or we brought each other unfinished ideas. Uh, unfortunately, fortunately, our songwriting personalities for those few years merged um, into one identity. Uh, you know, he certainly wrote uh, all the lyrics as well as music mm-hmm. that we partnered on. Uh, but a lot of the arranging and stuff we did together, but often I put the pen to paper and kind of worked out the mechanics. Right. Um so you're hearing you're hearing a lot of that arranging fun and uh, the same you know the same personality that did it all those years ago, and a lot of the ideas that you've heard on my solo records um, are uh, a lot of leftover ideas that I had during the jellyfish years. I mean, we just didn't you know for a variety of reasons you can only put. 10 songs on a record, 12 songs, so mm-hmm. we couldn't record everything. So there were a lot of unfinished ideas sitting around, and if they've stood the test of time for me, I, I've i realized a lot of them on these solo records. That was part of why I wanted to do this, is I just believe in these ideas. I wanted to share them. So why only four songs? <laughs> I told, I know I know the, the less is more concept, but when, when I got done with that fourth song, I was like, Roger, I need like six more. <laughs> Um, well no I appreciate that I uh, actually have eight more that are in the works right now and I started a 12 song album Mm -hmm. but I started it in 2012 and um, just wasn't getting finished I had to bring people in to help me try to speed up the process which Mm -hmm. didn't really speed up the process Um, I got some good stuff but uh, (laughs) I knew what I wanted and Sometimes it uh, was exactly right, and other times I had to massage the other people's parts to get what I wanted um, just because I'm so specific, you know, and I don't, I didn't take the time to train myself on every instrument. Uh, But, uh, so that's, you know, the way it goes with that. Um, And uh, I figured, well, man, if I don't concentrate on four songs, I'm never going to get this thing out. And I really wanted to just get the machine moving. Because uh, the whole point was, if I 
had a successful pledge campaign and the whole kind of model made sense, then I would uh, mm-hmm. uh, continue with that model down the road um, and just, you know, get EPs out so I could get people music every, I don't know, nine months or something instead of having everybody wait three years, five years, ten years. That seems to be a very successful um, uh, way of doing things these days, I've noticed, is that, you know, like, you know, bands, I think we kind of talked about that the last time, is that, you know, bands putting out, kind of realizing that um, the listeners... um, uh, attention span these days are, like, so short and quick, you know, but that, like, at the same time, it's like, you give them four new songs, you know, every so often instead of giving them 12 every three years you know what i mean like it's almost like yeah it's a, almost like a subscription like it's like you're getting this awesome magazine yeah. every month you know or whatever or however every so many months you know but um yeah you're right it's more like that but the pledge music campaign seemed you know you know i used to go back and forth with whether with how i felt about um you know you know crowdfunding and things like that and um and of course being a musician myself you know, the more I've seen it, the more success I've seen with bands that doing it, because it really is about just kind of claiming control over your your product and how it's put out. So do you look at something like this now and go, like, I wish this would have been around in the Jellyfish days? Like, and do you think that maybe Jellyfish would have had a different kind of experience had it had this kind of campaign been available well i think this campaign works best for a certain level of artists only mm-hmm. i don't i don't necessarily <clears throat> excuse me i don't necessarily suggest this for brand new bands uh, part of why this works is that there's got to be some notoriety and people who've had some previous experience with you and ideally a positive one mm-hmm. um for you to you know coalesce everybody gather them around and uh, for this forum to work because there's a lot of uh, trust in this exchange going on between artists and fans, uh, particularly where some of the unique incentives are concerned. The, mu- the music only becomes one part of this activity. Uh, um, it's uh, a lot more interactive uh-huh. than a record company could ever be. Uh, you know, Obviously, without the internet, back in the day and you can't do half the stuff that we've been doing on this campaign. So, right. Uh, I don't think it would have helped jellyfish or any upstart band. I think it really works. Um, again, like I said, for, for people who artists who have some, uh, prior experience and have already kind of won people over. Um, and in other words, they've already, some, some of them already have gotten the ball rolling and I have, you know, I do have the major labels to thank for that. Right. Yeah. I mean, you've got, you've got the 20 plus years behind, you know, under your belt also of, of like, you know, you know, you know, accumulating fans who are very familiar with your work from, you know, all through, you know, whether it was with jellyfish or was whether it was with like, you know, the Mo cookbook and things like that, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like you said, like I loved in your video, how you said it was kind of like, inviting your fans to be a part of this journey with you, you know? So it really does kind of go beyond the fans just buying a new album, you know? It goes, it it becomes a part of helping you create something that, uh, at least I know for me as a fan, am going to absolutely, you know, love and love knowing that I was a part of it, you know? Totally. That's that's the idea. So that's great to hear. So you have been with Beck for a while, and I'll be honest, I'm not a big Beck, I'm not a Beck follower. I don't know a whole lot about him, though, but I know that you've been involved with him for, for a long time. Um, yeah. Is it kind of nice to be stepping back out again and kind of saying, like, oh, I, I, I get to do my, my thing now a little more than usual? Well, I'm, <clears throat> of all of the incredible things I get to do in the music business over the years, um, the Beck Band being one of them, and supporting other artists uh-huh. as well, um, of various styles and degrees. You know, the most gratifying thing to do for me has always been uh, 
realizing and actualizing and seeing through fruition uh, original ideas. Um, you just have more of your heart and soul in it. Uh, right. I get to play someone, I get to play on other people's incredible music, but I can't uh, relate a hundred percent to every inch of it. Um, obviously you can if, if you've written something. Right. Um, it's just more personal to you. Um, so, uh, that's why I'm very thankful for the balance I have in my life with, uh, getting to do a little this, getting to do a little that. And, um, you know, I mean, one of the reasons I remember looking forward to joining back in 97 is because I was coming off the tail of, uh, two of my personal bands that both of whom broke up, both of whom couldn't make a third record. Uh-huh. Um, we were in the whole financially, the record companies. I remember we were exhausted that, uh, from the road. Yes. You know, I mean, it was uh, super, super challenging. And here I was being invited to join a group that uh, already had platinum albums that already had proper money to tour. Um, there were just so many uh, aspects of seeing what happens when you get to the next level, so to speak. Right. And it was really fun to take more of a back seat and see, well, wow, what, what does the machine look like when everybody gets along in the band and the public buys your song and uh, they want you on the other side of the world and there's thousands and thousands of people in this strange land. I wanted to see what that was all about. I know I didn't get to experience a lot of those things with my own groups and here was an opportunity to do that. You know, so that was, that was part of the allure as well. And just, uh, helping to fulfill my dreams and fantasies uh, that the other groups never could meet. Mm-hmm. Because there is something to be said. Cause I know like, like I, like I told you before, like even, you know, with me being a musician, like I've, I've always, you know, it's it's always been like my band. It's always been the band. You know, that I wrote the songs, and then I came up with whatever. You know, and you know, went to the band, and we arranged them together. But the few times that I was ever able to be part of something where I was just a player, I just remember thinking like, this is kind of cool. It's kind of like riding in the back seat for once. You know what I mean? Like you're yeah. like, it's kind of nice not to drive all the time. You know what I mean? Like. Well, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's um, like riding in the back seat if you uh, trust the driver implicitly. That's and that's you... the key. That's the key is trusting the driver. Yeah, like I wouldn't ride in the back seat with my mom. My wife, I yeah. would, you know, but like I don't, you know, my mom, no, not really. <laughs> At least not now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And I mean, ideally, you know where that car is. You're excited where that to where that car is taking a trip, mm-hmm. and. Uh, um, you can surrender. You have. You are able to. I mean, one of the things that you're probably enjoying, um, certainly speaking for myself, is uh, being able to surrender control uh-huh. because you have such faith in um, again who's at the uh, wheel and where the car is headed. Um, you don't have to. You don't have to spend any energy uh, trying to pull the steering wheel away from somebody you don't trust or you don't. Know, believe in 100% as far as the, the vision and what the record company wants for you versus what you want, you know, all those right. kinds of things. So with, with that being said, there's also this other balance of like, you know, when you do your own thing, sometimes like when you have your bands, like in, in your case, like, you know, you're doing the, the Roger Manning Jr. stuff, you know, and you've picked a band and you've got a band of people that you can trust and you can kind of put that faith. There's... It, it, it's it's a much. Do you find that it's a much different feeling and a much different level of trust and maybe even confidence than say like when you were in Jellyfish, where things were always maybe there was always a little bit of tension and pressure, whether it be from industry or each other. Uh, well, I mean, you figure things out the more and more you do them. Uh-huh. So it's just it's just experience. I mean, you know, if you give me the time machine, I could go back to any one of my early groups, and I'd have ten to twenty new ways and options and tools to get something accomplished. Right. That just comes from experience and maturity. Um, but I still put the same 
goals and standards, expectations on myself that I have with any project. Um, I just, again, through doing it so many times, I'm a little faster at different parts of it. Uh-huh. Uh, and I certainly know how to communicate with people better than I did in my early 20s. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, convey a thought more of a concise, direct, um, communicative way. Um, those are basic skill sets that most young people don't have. Kind of learn them on the job. Uh-huh. And along the way, you and a bunch of people get burned. It's not not very enjoyable. I'm so glad you brought that up because I was having this conversation with a friend of mine. We were talking about like former bands of ours and I was thinking of like, you know, the last two or three bands I ever had. When I think about like why we broke up or why things didn't work, it always boils down to communication. Like I, I, like either I was afraid to say something or I didn't say something and I internalized it for so long that it exploded. Whereas like now, like in my forties, I'm like, you just say it, you know what I mean? And like, you just say it, but you say it compassionately and you act like adults. But like you said, when you're in your early twenties, that's kind of a hard thing to do, (laughs) you know, like, especially when you, when you're still trying to figure that kind of relationship out with people. Right. Well, now you don't have to ask me the question, why did Jellyfish break up? You just answered it. Right. Yeah. Which is actually, to be totally honest, which is funny, because that has always been like a, such a topic that people always discuss, like, well, what happened with Jellyfish? And I go, well, if you've ever been in a band that broke up, (laughs) you know why Jellyfish split up. Because that's it, 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 it's, it's like this inevitable thing that happens when you're young, when you're playing music with each other, because at the end of the day, we're, we're all kind of socially awkward people that have, we communicate through music. But then when we have to communicate through other ways, especially in our younger days, we just didn't know how to do it. You know? You know, very few of us have uh, positive role models. Um, adults who are great communicators. And so we don't really learn that. And uh, we take it into our own communities, whether it's, you know, the office place or our significant other relationships or whatever. And these patterns just keep repeating unless uh, somebody or a group of people, you know, say, wait a minute, there's got to be a way to do it different. Uh, And let's, let's, go read some books, let's get some therapy, let's uh, listen to some self-help tapes. I mean, there's like no shortage of uh, great toolboxes to explore, but it's not not very often encouraged in our society. Or if you you, see a lot of communities kind of uh, frown upon that. Uh Someone's actually trying to uh, better themselves or get better at what they do, uh, certainly on a personal and emotional level. And I'm sorry, but uh, music is the art of emotional communication. We just, you do it with an instrument in your hand and you do it with your voice with lyrics. Uh-huh. If you're not in touch with your emotions, you're going to be a shitty musician. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's why, the, that's why you, 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 know, you can spot a fake a mile away. You know, <laughs> but you're exactly right. You're exactly right. They're not. They're not. And I'm not saying you have to be a master communicator with people. I'm, I'm saying you have to be in touch with your emotions and n- know how to bring them out through your voice or your instrument. Now, ideally, uh, your relationships along the way uh, are also enriched and nourished uh, and enhanced because you you uh, are not afraid of your feelings. Um, and you, you, you have, you have, you know, what's called emotional literacy. Mm-hmm. Um, being a good musician is simply emotional literacy. Um, and again, I really hope they're teaching this at Berkeley and all the other music schools because you're not, you're not going to uh, produce a complete and um, well-rounded artist when they graduate if you don't have a, if a course like that. And of course they don't. I'm being I'm being facetious. Um, 
you know, you, you, that, that stuff's imperative. No, it totally is because, you know, and I've, I've thought about this a lot because, you know, I don't know if you saw the, the Metallica documentary years ago that came out that was a, the Some Kind of Monster where it was basically like, you know, Metallica was like on the verge of breaking up and they brought in a therapist. And I just remember, yeah. like, I just remember young me going, how fucking lame, dude. Like, if you can't keep your own <laughs> fucking band together, da, 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 da. You know, but now, like, here I am, like, I'm, you know, I, you know I'm 44. I, I, go, I go to a therapist, you know, like, twice a month. And I go, wow. I mean, I mean, to care about something so much, like, that, that you, to bring someone in to try to fix something. Like, but you're right. It's integral. They don't teach you that. Like when they give you a guitar, you know, or like, you know, yeah, right. like when we first picked up our guitars, you know, you know, it's kind of like having a baby. It didn't come with an instruction manual that said, hey, guess what? People are going to nope. be assholes and you're going to have to learn how to deal with them. <laughs> you know, and Like you're going to have right. to learn how to like not get your way all the time and like not argue, you know, and how to, <laughs> you know, civilly argue with people. You know, it's like you don't. Yeah, we don't get, you know, it's like we had to learn that over the yeah, course of years, yeah. you know. Yeah. And you've got, a, you've got a thing called an ego, and that's fine, but you have to learn how to keep it in check, and you have to learn the difference between when your ego's talking and when your heart's talking, because uh, they're two different things. And uh, all that stuff, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been seeing a variety of therapists for the last, I don't know, 10 years or something, yeah. and... Uh, Imperial Drag had um, a therapist that I have to give the record company credit for. Uh-huh. The A and R guy was like, "No, no, I want you know, I want to give this another chance, and we'll pay for it." And I couldn't argue with that. And ultimately, we decided to go our separate ways. But I actually really, and I think I can speak for the other guys in the band. I, I think we really valued uh, that month or so uh-huh. where we uh, sought some outside guidance, um, and uh, you know. So it's it's uh, it's just it's just what you what you value and, and how much do you want to expand as a person on on all levels. And I love that you touched on the fact that about about that you you know that you see therapy and stuff because we have seen a lot of issues, especially in the music industry over the past few years. You know, especially the past year or so with you know just you know mental health being such a big thing in the industry and whatnot. And I don't think people realize sometimes that, you know, the amount of, you know, mental and emotional stress that we as musicians kind of go, it's like, it's like, it's why we create, you know, it's like you, you get yeah. this great end product, but you don't always get to see what it is that created that product and what that product was or what might've created that product was like a series of like, you know, fucking anxiety attacks in a bathroom. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Well, but it turned into sure. a great fucking song. But people sure. don't see that. And so, like, you know, it's always refreshing to hear someone acknowledge that aspect of it, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah, we are highly emotional, feeling, energetic creatures. And uh, that's why music speaks to everybody. Um, on some level, that's what that's what people always joke me. You know, they'll say, or I, I say to them, you know, say, oh, well, I can't dance, or some people can dance, and some people can't. I'm like, well, in my opinion, it just depends what role models you had in your life that said it was okay to dance, that it was okay to flail about <laughs> like a complete idiot if you want, um, because you felt moved by some music you were hearing or, or wherever you were at a party or at church or in a music store, you know, wh- oh, whatever it was. Yeah. And, uh, I said, well, I can't dance. I have no sense of rhythm. Right. Because you haven't been de- You haven't been shown, uh, how to tap into your natural rhythm. I, I believe having natural rhythm, that's the thing. Again, I think everybody relates to music because it's part of our DNA. We, Rhythm and melody, all those things are inherent to living in this body and our spiritual essence. It just, as a child, you either had positive role models that showed you how to demonstrate that. And maybe some of those positive role models actually had a good sense of rhythm already. So when they, so when they dance, 
it was on the beat and they were clapping their hands on the two and four and they were they were groovy you know they were grooving oh right um you either had that or you didn't but just because you didn't have it doesn't mean it's not too late to tap into that and learn um Oh, it's, yeah, it's never too late because, you know, I grew up with two of the whitest parents that had, like, no soul, no groove at all. But the first time I saw Fish in, like, 1995 and I saw people dance, I was like, what are you doing? And then all of a sudden right. I was like, okay, well, let me just kind of loosen up and see what happens. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, oh, there it is. And then all of a sudden you just realize, like, you know, I can just feel the music and just move and... Oh, I'm dancing. It was like such a, like, I hate to say that, but, but it was such like a white boy discovery thing, you know? It was like, wait, I can do this and kind of flail my oh, arms and jig back and forth, yeah. you know? <laughs> it can absolutely be, be cultural. I mean, you, you, you just said it. I mean, you know, a, a fish concert, and I've never been, but I certainly have had friends who enjoy that community. It is another form of church, right? Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, the yeah. only reason you... The only reason you started moving around is because you basically said, you know what, I don't really give a damn what anybody thinks of me, or, and I don't feel like I'm in a, I'm in an arena here where I'm going to be judged. Right. Like, no, 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 I'm just going to relax, let the music take me where it takes me, and next thing you knew, your body was moving around. Um, you know, versus if you'd grown up in, I don't know, a Southern Baptist church or something, and every Sunday from, when, from infancy... You saw people singing their hearts out, top of their lungs, mm-hmm. dancing in church, doing it. You know, it, it, again, it's just, it's just, um, it's encouraged, uh, and uh, you, you, you would have felt safe in that environment, uh, dancing around. Um, so, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I encourage people to continue to not be afraid and to explore that because. Those emotions want to be expressed in, in, in healthy and responsible and safe and exciting ways. And if they're not, that heartbreak and that joy and those tears and that laughter, it's going to come out someplace else. And But it, hopefully it comes out in a positive way. I mean, that, again, that's, you know, music, uh, even, even all the hip-hop that I don't care for because it's so misogynistic and so just hard and edgy and violent a lot of times yeah yeah violent and depressing it's not necessarily a celebration of life in my opinion however it's still a fairly productive way to have emotional release versus young men fighting or uh you know it, it uh it at least is some kind of pressure release valve for um emotions being expressed even if that emotion is anger or or hate i'd rather it come out in the music than uh you know man hurting man kind of ways well you know um, we t- yeah because we had talked about previously about like you know our love for metal but anyway you know but like <laughs> you know, like 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 i remember that you know being a young kid in the mosh pit like and remember what it right. felt like to be in the mosh pit and to be like oh it's like such a release but like you know, I wasn't getting the crap beat out of me. I wasn't punching anything. I wasn't, like, destroying anything. It was, like, right. this way of, you know, getting it out. But then I also remember seeing Jellyfish at the Cotton Club, like, not long after seeing, like, you know, a metal show. And then everybody's just kind of rocking back and forth. You know what I mean? And I'm going, oh, this works, too. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. I, I, I loved being in the mosh pit knowing that uh, I was getting some energy out. Instead of some jock be- beating me up in the PE room. Oh, like, totally. Absolutely. That's a know, great is, way. Yeah. This is so much more healthy and productive. And there's just this, I love that, you know, because I, I was talking about before with you, there's more of the earlier hardcore scene in America. And I just love that um, there were a lot of, you know, tough, rough and tumble guys mm-hmm. at these, these, these male dominated shows. And, um, there was this camaraderie there. Oh, you want to stage dive? Here, let me help you up on stage. Right. Oh, you're going to flail your safe, yourself 10 feet off the stage? Well, we're not going to catch you, but we're kind of going to brace you so you fall, <laughs> you know, kill yourself on the way down. You know? <laughs> That's I was, so I was true. blown away. Yeah. And, and it was, the whole thing was like, well, we're all doing this because we kind of get why, why you're here. It's like you may not feel this camaraderie and support at your local high school. 
we know what it's like to be an outsider that way. But here at this club, with this crazy ass band and these crazy ass fans, mm-hmm. you're you know you're amongst your own kind of thing. I mean, I- it was. It was kind of it was kind of gang mentality in the best most positive sense of the word, and I don't even like that term really. Right, you, you understand what I'm saying? Oh yeah, but don't you feel like that too? Like back in the day, in, in the live entity of Jellyfish, that you guys even tried to, to create something very similar. Where like I remember telling friends, especially when you guys were doing the spilt milk tour, where you kind of had the stage set up that kind of looked like a bedroom. You know, you had the the light bright and stuff like that. You know, and I just remember thinking like. I feel like I've, I've I was just invited to like kind of like this kind of cool nerd party in a basement where we're watching a band play, you know, like, like, yeah, I, totally. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like that was something that you guys kind of strived to do in your own way. That a lot of the bands that were your peers in in the more pop rock thing kind of missed, you know, where you guys actually really did create a subculture of sorts, you know, which is probably why your fans have lasted for so long. Uh, oh, totally. Um, and just to let you know, I've got about uh, four minutes here because Amanda's got another interview. Oh, no, for me. absolutely. Well, look, well, we can wind it down right now. I'll, well, because what I want to say is one thing is that uh, are you going to tour for this EP? Uh, probably not any kind of official tour. I'm certainly playing live, but it's mm-hmm. going to be that remains to be seen because it's going to be scattered and, and getting myself outside of Los Angeles. Uh, it just takes a lot of money because uh, oh. I'm not doing it by myself. I, I, you know, I have some kind of backup band. Right. Um, and it's just getting that machine out financially is, uh, it just takes funding. And what, you know, I'm been, I've been very happy with the funding to come in for the EP and making the pledge campaign work. But, it's a lot more dollars to uh, get a group of guys, you know, to not be sleeping on their friend's floor across. Plus, I'm just not going to do that anymore. I did that in my 20s, and I can't ask me or any of my friends to do that. We're all in our 40s, so. No, man. I have to to sleep on my back on a mattress. Like, I can't do floors or, like, vans, you know? Yeah, not going to happen. So, uh, now what I do plan on doing is filming not only live concerts, but even maybe like a private, very um, detailed and specialized live show that I can then like share with people. Oh, now um, that would be great. That would be great. Like a DVD of sorts or something maybe? or Exactly. Yeah, uh, exactly. See, that would be awesome, man. Well, well look, right, I'm not going to hold you any longer, but I'm just going to say, dude, it's such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.